You've probably heard a lot about Bitcoin lately, whether it's on the news, online, or because your weird mate Steve keeps banging on about how much his is worth. There's a lot of noise and information, and it can be hard to know where to begin. Coin Corner cuts through all the confusion. With an easy-to-use site and a friendly customer support team on hand to help, Coin Corner is a quick and easy way to buy Bitcoin in the UK. Visit coincorner.com and enter code FILMBTC at sign up for some free sats or small amounts of Bitcoin to get you started. Coin Corner. The Fix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 223 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk... Do we talk? (laughs) (laughs) About films and all things relating to films. From indie film to... Wait... You think you think I'd, I'd remember, but you uh, yeah. you do it every time. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know the lyrics. Um, so so you just tune. just say filmmaking. Yeah, from indie films to studio. Oh wait, uh, where, where we where we talk <laughs> about everything from indie films no, to studio no, films. No, no, no. Where we talk filmmaking. Ready? Talk where, filmmaking. Where we talk filmmaking. <laughs> 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 from indie film to studio films and. Everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, how to try not to... Fuck it up. In our very, very humble opinion, uh, I am delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Filmmakers Podcast because we have on the fantastic director, Anil Karia, whose debut feature film, Surge, starring Ben Whishaw, is out in cinemas and online now. Go support, go watch. I am Giles Alderson, a writer, director, and a producer, and I'm delighted that my co-host, and I'm overjoyed today that my co-host is the fantastic producer of many feature films and director of three feature films, including Winter Ridge. It is the fantastic Dom Lenoir. Hello, Giles. Hello, a pleasure buddy. to be here on this sunny day. It's a delight to have you. So on this week's episode, Dom, what did you learn? What did you take away from Anil's fantastic chat? I learned about his amazing journey through journalism into the NTFS and into film, uh, learning about what you do and you don't do, starting music videos and commercials. We also discussed in detail about how you can start making shorts and being a short filmmaker and turning that short into a feature film, which happened to be stuck. Or turning stu- that... <laughs> Sturge. Which turning that short into a feature film... It turning into oh fuck's sake! Turning that short into the feature film surge. It was like a surge of words there, wasn't there? <laughs> We're also looking at how to raise the money, how to practically turn a short into a feature, and tips for upcoming filmmakers. And he says, and the important thing here is why you need to be true to yourself. Ah, oh, Dom, I can't wait for people to see this in the cinemas. And I can't wait to get back to cinemas. Have you, are, are you excited that cinemas are open again now? I'm delighted. I'm, I'm going to be going any time this week. Uh, probably to look at any time too. Any time this week. Just wait <laughs> for a day. date. <laughs> wait for someone to ask you to go along with you. No, actually, I tell you what. I'm, I'm oh. going to be going to see Abid Khan's <gasps> blockbuster international indie exchange student extravaganza three stars from total film available only this week at odeon cinemas near you so you should go and watch abid khan's granada nights very soon 
Granada Knight, huge for plug for you. Congratulations, Abid. It's around for a week. Go support his film now. Uh, Abid was on our Make Your Film events, which we'll be doing again soon, right, Dom? Now things are opening up. Maybe September. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, think, yeah, yeah. I think September we're, we're going to have a, a climactic return to the, the climactic London best London film event in town. <laughs> Uh, that is the Make Your Film event. But Dom, sadly, I won't be able to go to the cinema at the moment. No, because Giles, who definitely didn't tell me to say this. <laughs> <laughs> Not set up at all. <laughs> Giles is in the enviable position of shooting his next feature in, I think it's two weeks. So he's busy in the chaos of casting, uh, location, finalising, pre-production... Uh, and general sort of getting ready to shoot madness it is madness yeah it's called Into Enemy Territory it's a World War 2 feature and at the moment I'm diving deep into casting because we haven't fully cast all the roles yet which is cool it's fine we're getting some amazing uh, auditions through uh, and the pre-production so I went for a recce yesterday uh, we're doing a big VFX today even though it's Bank Holiday Monday you know big meeting about that there's so much to do you know what it's like in prepping a feature film scheduling it um, all those locations you just need to find those little moments you're like oh it's written in the script as this place and you're kind of like right well we need to find it um, millions of micro decisions bouncing it, off your phones and emails and there yeah. is and I think it's a really it is something that when you dive into a feature it's the thing that you do get so overwhelmed with when you're making your first one because you're like oh my god you have to suddenly make all these decisions and you're like well I don't know I could be wrong and you're not fully in your director <laughs> mode are. yet you probably are yeah <laughs> I am but you're not in that director mode yet you're not in your certain mode you're still searching and finding things it's really difficult when people go well you could shoot at this lake or this one yeah but I think I think the more the more decisions you make I mean I, I always believe in taking action is the easiest way to get past your your fears yes. uh, and, and the more the more answers that you fire back the better your understanding the better your HODs understanding the better your cast understanding so making those decisions right or wrong will, will, will inform the decisions of the film and build a bigger picture a clearer picture I agree and what's really interesting there is you can always change your mind later and it's not ideal but just fix it in post fix it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to reshoot this. Me on that. <laughs> yeah, put it on a t-shirt, mate. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I am very much looking forward to shooting that. Can't wait. We're doing that with uh, Picture Perfect, which is Lucinda Rhodes Takara, who's generally uh, one of the co-hosts on this podcast. Um, yeah, so which is which is amazing. I'm really looking forward to it again, uh, working with her. So that's going to be brilliant we have our patreon uh, boys and girls there's some amazing people have already signed up to that we where you do get ad free podcasts you do get some really cool little perks so if you fancy supporting this podcast any more uh, than just listening in which we love uh, then do go to our patreon link is in the show notes but it's uh, filmmakers podcast forward slash patreon.com and you can see all the benefits there thank you very much kevin pybus marley j monroe melanie gorley richard miller Louise Salter, James Skinner, Dave Capiro, and Chris Hughes. Thank you all for our patrons. Do come join us. Dom's already shouted out Abid Khan's film, which is in cinemas at the moment, Granada Nights. Do go support that. But also, we have a shout out to 
Jane Gull. Uh, she was the director of My Feral Heart, which is the UK's most successful cinema on demand film of all time. Uh, they are now doing their new music drama feature film called Love Without Walls. Uh, Jane and Karen Newman now doing a crowdfunder, and it is on Green Lit, the fantastic platform Green Lit. Uh, they have raised nearly four grand so far. They have a lot more to raise, so do go support them. It sounds fantastic. Link to that is in the show notes. If you can spare anything, even if it's just retweeting the latest tweet, please do it. Love Without Walls on Greenlit. Link is in the show notes. Support indie filmmakers as much as you can. This is our episode with the fantastic Anil Karia. Enjoy, everyone. How are we doing, Anil? Are you all right? Yeah, doing good, thank you. Uh, not too bad. How about you? Yeah, I am all right. I had my COVID jab yesterday. And, you know, everyone said you feel really bad. I'm like, I'm all, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> Surviving. Famous last words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I see if I start shuddering and shaking during this, just start going <laughs> off. And yeah, Dom, you'll be, you'll be fine to take over. Yeah. Good. Are you press junket all day today? Is that what you've been saying? Uh, it's just beginning. <laughs> oh, we're the first. Brilliant. You haven't got bored of saying the same shit yet <laughs> not yet no 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 oh that's good have you been watching anything recently that's sort of inspired you i, I watched zero 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 yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah that's great i don't know how much these are all inspiring me but I've, been, I've watched that i've watched um been watching gamora because i sort of never did that so i went backwards and started watching that mm. uh, i've been watching a bit of that mayor of east town as well mayor of is east that, town is that good with kate winslet yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah, really like it. Yeah, yeah. Great performance from her. I mean, great I, performance. Yeah. I think a lot of stuff on HBO is really good. I've always I've always rated it as a channel, like the, the kind of style they have. And... Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean but, uh, we, we, we've started, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is it. This is it. This is it. This is as good as you get, mate. <laughs> yeah, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> this is totally fine. We're not gonna going to talk about your work. We're going to talk about the Mayor of East Town. I don't know if you're going to prep me and then be like, okay, and then do your welcome thing. Uh, so I just thought I'd double check, but obviously that's not very good material. <laughs> you can just cut that out. Um, I think this is great, actually. <laughs> it's great. I think it's absolutely great. Um, it's all fun. It's just, it's always, it's always nice to ease in. Um, yeah, well, no, I was going to say that HBO, I remember, you know, I was of that generation where, like, you know, the box set thing... Mm. like was was kind of blowing up when i was about um 18 or whatever because it's not like we had sky or mm. i don't know i don't know if many people got hbo in the uk back then so but you'd have you'd have to get like you, you know i'd get f series one box set for my birthday and then i'd ask for series two box set for christmas or something like that <laughs> but like, you know and gradually i kind of you, you piece them but you really had to kind of learn to wait and be patient back then I think it was easier with spoilers as well, though, wasn't it? I mean, like, now now you couldn't get away with it. No, no, right. You'd have to actively avoid the entire World Wide Web or something. <laughs> um, which, is, which is actually one of the really disappointing things when people recommend stuff to you and then you see it all over Twitter and then you feel like, I have to watch this now. Like Game of Thrones, I, I've not really watched it because I missed the boat. And now I'm like, there's no way I've got my life to go through that. And I won't be able to share it with anyone because <laughs> they'll go, no, I'm not interested. And no one talks about it anymore anyway. It's like it died. It's like Game of Thrones. What was that? I mean, I, I actually missed that moment. And yeah, I don't know. It'd be a weird one to stop. Maybe, maybe I'll watch it in a decade from now. But Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It'd be a strange one right now to start watching it. And mm. also all that like parlance of, of that series about like winter is coming in the red wedding or whatever it is, or the white wedding, none of which means anything to me. Kind of like, um, it's, it's weird. You're so saturated in it's kind of 
aura but you know nothing almost nothing about it yeah is that is that how you sort of got into films in the first place was there something that inspired you as a kid was it kind of that saturation of movies tv that made you want to be a filmmaker looking back i mean to, to be honest i didn't really realize i wanted to be a filmmaker till quite late on but i think in that kind of subconscious osmosis like way it was it was happening when i was a teenager but it was happening through tv i think because i grew up in a you know, I wasn't from like a artistic background or family or, or particularly, you know, my parents were like in um, do- a doctor and a nurse. But um, so, and, and, and I grew up in a town which had a sort of multiplex cinema. So I think the first film I went to see was like Hook. Oh, I loved Hook. It got some shit, but <laughs> I got hooked dumb on on Hook and I, I loved it. And people still give it shit, but I think it's great. It's great. Great fun movie. I mean, yeah, when I was eight, it was great. Anyway, yes. I've not, not revisited it. <laughs> no, you don't need to watch it now. Not necessarily. Um, and yeah, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But it was these kind of block, yeah. blockbuster films, you know. And and to be honest, going to the cinema was like a, a rare treat, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't like part of my life or anything, and nor was film. But TV was, you know. And um, uh, I remember my dad would always watch the Brookside Omnibus. And I'd... I'd, I'd um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, that was a soap, by the way, for anyone not in England uh, in the 90s. And uh, I got kind of quite hooked on that age, like 10 or whatever. And, um, and then, yeah, I remember being quite, like, really intrigued and kind of wowed by ser- ser- um, drama series when I was a bit older, like 13, 14, like Jimmy McGovern stuff and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Paul Abbott ones, like Clocking Off and stuff like that. I think it was that kind of stuff that was, like, actually, yeah, like I say, unbeknownst to me giving this giving me this kind of bug and like I, w- I was totally transported when I was watching anything like that but actually having said that I was kind of becoming quite obsessed with music videos as well mm. when I'd go around mates houses they'd have MTV or MTV2 and stuff and I'd, I, these videos would blow my mind they were amazing I started getting those directors what were they called the director's work DVDs. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, and they'd have a load of their music videos and ads and stuff like, on it. Yeah. Um, and Michelle Gondry, et cetera. Yes, yes. So I think it was, yeah, a weird Spike Jones. fusion of, um, like, you know, British um, TV drama and, yeah, kind of music video auteurs that was, um, yeah, subconsciously inspiring me. But it took a long time from then for me to be like, oh, Maybe I could do that. Yeah, because you you acted a little bit in a, like a mate's film or whatever, but that was way before you'd done any kind of producing or directing. Was that just something you stumbled across? How did that even happen? How did you get into the orbit of filmmaking? I mean, I never really pursued acting per se, like, but but actually, as a kid, I was in this theatre club group thing. Yeah, where, cool. And, um, and that was actually really inspiring, you know. We, we, me and me and a friend who now is an actor, and another friend who's now an animator, and another friend who's now works in theatre and, and kind of um, mad kind of multimedia theatre and projection and stuff like this. We were all in that group, and and even though acting wasn't for all of us, it was actually inspiring us in one way or another. Mm. Uh, you know, it was just a local dr- drama thing that like put on. Well, increasingly big, actually, kind of like. Christmas productions and things like that. And it was just really fun. But at the weekends, me and those friends I mentioned would borrow one of my, borrow one of their dads, like JVC, like camcorders. Yeah, yeah. Start making, started making films. And um, I remember one of my friends, Jack, he had this like ancient 
piece of editing software which you plugged into the TV. Yes. Could cut things together and you could put really kind of like eight bit titles on and stuff. And I mean these films we were making were absolutely like bonkers and you know some of them some <laughs> of them horrifically poor and some of them quite, you know, probably quite amazing for what they were. And um some of them just really surreal and a bit disturbing. And uh mm. yeah, we'd do this um like every well as many whatever chances we we got basically at the weekend and yeah that was how we spent a lot of our weekends and it was so enjoyable but weirdly even then you know I wasn't thinking oh I want to do this on a bigger scale or I want to grow up and do this for uh, you know in uh, for a career or anything like that it was just too abstract a kind of connection do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like yeah yeah but I I in the end decided to study journalism because it felt like this kind of, um, I was quite interested in like the news and mm-hmm. and the idea of journalism. And um, I thought, oh, well, that's a bit like filmmaking in, yeah. a, in a weird it's, way. It's a way in. I get that it's a way in. You, well, people think, how do I get in? I don't want to act necessarily, but how do I get in? And that's yeah. the way in. Journalism, you think, well, okay, well, it's behind a camera or it's in front of a camera. It's yeah, something. Exactly. It involves pictures and it involves mm-hmm. storytelling. So yeah, I did, I did do lots of kind of like, you know, putting pictures together, filming things in, in, in its kind of loosest definition. And actually, I remember one exercise one day where we were allowed to kind of like unshackle ourselves from the kind of, you know, parameters of any kind of journalism thing. And we could do, we could, we could tell them all. We were asked to tell, make a five minute film that was the day in the life of something. And you could put music to it and everything. So it didn't need to be like hemmed in by the usual kind of journalistic standards and you could be emotive with it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know why, but I did the day in the life of my friend's uh, hand. <laughs> but yeah, I just remember kind of cutting that together and putting music to it and stuff was a, was so much. I kind of loved that, whereas the rest of the course was just passing me on, passing me by a little bit. And I thought, oh, like you know, this is this. I guess I guess it felt more like a music video or something, you know. And that gave me some kind of itch. And then I left left university and. Um, got a job at sky news doing night shifts he got in sky news congratulations well yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i mean i was yeah i was very lucky to get a job there and it was like real life money i was getting paid i think by this point i'd moved to london as well and and i was beginning to understand cinema and things like that and i and that itch was kind of growing a bit more um a bit larger and a bit more defined and i was thinking okay maybe i really do want to do something like this around that time someone showed me a newspaper with an advert for the NFTS in it. And I knew a little bit about the NFTS and this was advertising this kind of slightly mad new course with a very long title called producing and directing for television studio entertainment or something like this. Nice. So I, I knew, yeah, catchy. Um, yeah. I, I knew enough about the NFTS to know that they weren't having to advertise they're directing fiction and cinematography courses and things like this because they advertise themselves and they got they obviously got insane numbers of applicants every year and stuff. So I thought, oh well, maybe if advertising in a national paper, there, you know, they need applicants. Long story short, that that hand film I'd made and a bit of kind of winging it managed to get me a place there, and I managed to get a scholarship through this through the Lou Grade Foundation to kind of cover the fees and stuff. And I went Amazing. there. Amazing. National Film and That's Television awesome. School. Yeah. Here we yeah, go. So I found myself in the NFTS, not having this kind of film-centric experience on a totally different kind of course, but 
just by being in that environment, I started to understand yeah. filmmaking and in a, in a totally different way. And even though I was studying this quite specific studio-based kind of gallery directing route, there was just so much going on at that school, you know, masterclasses in the evenings that you can go to with directors and watch their films, Q&As. I also met all the fiction direction students and the cinematography students and started to kind of, yeah, so normally I guess people figure out film, then go to film school, but I kind of... Kind went of to film school and way in there figured and it out there yeah and of course they have an amazing like vhs or dvd library or whatever and i started kind of hoovering up all that and to be fair to the um to the course's credit they kind of we both began to understand that maybe i had a more kind of interest in this more scripted world of things and they let me slightly cater my experience of that studio directing course in, mm. in a more scripted direction so i ended up doing a single camera kind of graduation piece rather than a studio-based one, which was scripted. And I worked with a DOP from the cinematography department who I still work with today and uh, right. worked with the edit, 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 editing department and production design and everything. So I was able to sort of take it into a more, you know, filmmaking, traditional filmmaking direction, even though I wasn't on that course. And by the time I left NFTS, I was like, okay, well, I understand what I want to do now. And it's basically what they're doing on the directing, on the film directing course. And that was the next chapter, just kind of trying to figure all that out. But it's kind of fascinating that you've kind of gone in, I guess, in a sort of a sideways way. You sort of started off with experimental stuff and, and that's definitely had an influence on you and that's kind of where the magic seemed to have, have started. And then this, you know, the journalism, all of these tools are kind of ways to learn about filmmaking and the TV course as well. So, you know, I, th I think it's interesting sometimes that you go in from a different route because you learn maybe what you don't want to do. And you also know, uh, you know, a bit more about the outside world of, of film and television, not necessarily what you're going to specialise in. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's, like you said, it's as much about learning what you don't want to do and figuring out, you know, going in slightly wrong directions. And then, you know, like you was, like, like, like I was saying, the job I had where I was kind of, I was just coasting around for a while in these kind of w w waitering type jobs. But it was actually more it was a happier time when I look back than when I was going down those really wrong paths. Cause that was th those kind of like, you know, just money earning jobs were just times where I was kind of just being able to kind of live and breathe and like, you know, be young and f be in the city and kind of watch mm. stuff and kind of, you know, you know what I mean? Just soak everything up. And, and that's as much a part of the journey as, you know, the, the doing, I suppose as well. No, no, absolutely. And that must have been so influential for Purge then in terms of, you know, in you're talking there roaming the streets of London and having fun and going out and obviously spending a lot of time there that brings, you know, we'll come back to Surge, but my God, it's fantastically intense state of London life, you know, and it's just brilliantly well done, by the way. We haven't mentioned that yet. Um, but we'll come back to uh, Surge um, because I think it's really important to find out how you got there, you know, and your journey to get to. Uh, this sure, film yeah, yeah did you start making shorts sort of kind of soon after that were you kind of like look i need to make stuff i need to get going on this journey yeah it was a bit it, it was still a bit long-winded after that to be honest <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I didn't make a short yet what I, what happened was i was presented quite like jammily with um an opportunity to make a music video and like i said that was always that was always a sort of like world i'd loved and mm kind of like really relished the idea of making one and kind of had had a chance presented to me on a plate by the manager of this band okay. called Wave Machines who were um, Liverpool-based like indie band. And um, and yeah, I made this choreographed music video and 
had a, had a whale of a time making it. It was probably the first kind of really filmic thing I'd made. Had you planned it? Did you storyboard stuff? Did you, or was it kind of, you know, shooting from the hip? What's your process? It was definitely more planned than some stuff I've done recently. Um, <laughs> it, was, um, it was, it was choreographed. So we, I had this kind of vision in my vision in my head. Um, it was basically for forensic. I mean, it sounds weird when I just sum it up so crudely, but it was basically for forensic scientists doing a contemporary choreographed routine around a murder scene. Um, and I worked with a choreographer who I grew up with and, and yeah, so we did plan it quite meticulously actually. And um, anyway, it was, you know, not bad. It was not a disaster and it was entered into the UK MVAs and it won the best choreography wow. in a music video award. So more the choreographer's prize to be honest than the directors, but, um, but still, but, but yeah, you, okay. you can claim that. <laughs> yeah. The technically successful music video, and um, and I, and I got signed by you know a really nice couple of guys who ran a production company who did music videos and ads and stuff like that. Signed me, and did some more music videos, and then I got the chance to do some TV commercials, which were not you know to be honest, and I think any anyone involved would agree they weren't exactly like you know, groundbreaking, creatively like transcendent. <laughs> glazer-esque kind of commercials they were quite bog standard yeah you learn your trade exactly you, yeah yeah you're not going to put money show on necessarily but you spend more time with camera more time with actors that's more time exactly with it. yeah exactly you are, that's the funny thing about directing you know like when you're trying to figure it out and kind of make make you forge your path you're not spending all day every day on set like like a camera trainee might be or something mm -hmm. like that so true so you're yeah. kind of winging it like for a long time and you know potentially ever to an extent but um uh you, you, you there's so much wing it so that kind of set time like you say is important because you kind of start thinking yeah i'm i'm trying to be a director and that's what i do but it's not yeah you get on set each time and you're like jesus this you know like do i know what i'm doing and just that kind of having that consistency of time is really good no matter what you're making like mm -hmm. you say uh, giles yeah and um so yeah, being a director, having a being, you know, having a crew with you, figuring it out, even if it's not your your dream project, it's really valuable. And of course, you know, um, you get paid on commercials. So for the first yeah. time in my kind of journey of trying to make it, I was getting paid to direct. It's kind of interesting in a way. I mean, what you're sort of saying about directing, because it, it's very true. I mean, I, I started in camera. I'm not Giles kind of started in acting, wasn't it? I think. Right. Um, but you you kind of learn something that you know, there's maybe a bit more information in terms of like, this is how you hold a camera. This is the F-stop. You know, I mean, obviously you've got to learn about framing and composition and there's a huge amount of, of creativity there. But directing is is a very kind of vague thing and a lot of it's life experience and it's mm. stuff you've learned along the way. And, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about all these different routes that you took, like journalism and, you know, your actual life experiences. You know, I think all those things kind of feed in, but it, it, it's not something you necessarily have a, a rule book that you sort of turn up with. Totally, yeah. I, I completely agree, yeah. Like, like you know, when I look back and start telling this kind of rambling tale of how I um, came to came to now, it is rambling and it is quite long-winded, but you, 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 I think you're bang on because all that is kind of, you know, even though it sounds a bit naff, it's all kind of forming who you are and, mm. like, and it's not even worth dissecting it too much. Every project I'm making now is a is a product of all that kind of that of that journey. So even though it was a bit of a messy journey and it wasn't like, you know, I I, I made my first short age twenty one and then 
um, my next short and then my next short. Um, yeah, it, it kind of happened the way it happened because it had to happen like that. <laughs> oh, and then so, so you made music videos and commercials for a while, um, which is great because it pays the bills and you, you're practicing. But during that time, are you going, ah, I should really be making a short? But obviously shorts are unpaid. There's no money in it. You've got to ask people for favours. But was it something that you were like, look, I need to do this now. I want to make features. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's really spot on, actually. What was happening was, I mean, to be honest, to be totally honest, I wasn't getting to direct as many music videos as I wanted to be. Um, I was pitching on things and not getting them. And that's kind of, particularly when you haven't got the kind of emotional apparatus, maybe, you know, I was quite, quite a bit younger to kind of like be particularly great at kind of constant rejection and stuff like that. Well, it's tough dealing with rejection generally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it was a good, it was a good crash course in like get being fine with it in the end, but yeah, it's kind of exhausting when you're young and kind of don't understand. And, and you sort of, when you're, when you're young, you sort of put it all on yourself rather than thinking, oh, well, there's a great big machine at work here that has its reasons for kind of going with this wildly experienced person over me or um, other reasons even that, you know, not worth getting to. But um, what I was mainly doing were these fairly pedestrian kind of commercials. And I was really grateful to be doing them. And they were great. You know, they were what they were. They were selling something. But yeah, that sort of creative nourishment that you were talking about, Giles, just wasn't being fulfilled. And that whole sort of, those whole, those series of mini epiphanies I'd, I'd had over the years, you know, like I was saying, one at film school where I'm like, oh, this is what you can do. And I suddenly get it now. And this is what cinema is. And people can make that. And, oh, how about that? You know, I was kind of straying a bit further from that kind of thrill that, that I wanted to kind of harness. And so, yeah, in the end, you're exactly right. I was thinking, okay, well, this wasn't really the point. And I had this kind of idea in my head that kept knocking around, which was, essentially the first short I made and what happened was I made a Christmas advert campaign I did that it earned me a bit more money than I'd I'd had before and I thought I'm going to take not wild amounts of money but I'm going to I'm going to put some of this aside because I I think I was slightly in that catch-22 problem of not being able to get shorts made because I think I was applying shorts things but you know it's like send us your previous shorts to get them to the short scheme or whatever. Yeah. So I was slightly stuck in that thing. I mean, you know, it's easy to reinvent history. Maybe I just wasn't trying hard enough, but I was definitely getting a bit of that kind of like, oh, well, you know, you need to have made a short to apply for this thing. And it's like, okay. So, so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take this. It was like a, it was like four or five grand and I put it aside and cool. I said to him, and I'd met my friend, Scott. Scott O'Donnell, producer. And he was working in ads as well more in a, in a more successful and interesting way than I was. But he was also had this itch of, you know, like the cinema and film is what I ultimately want to want to mm-hmm. make. So, and I talked to him about this film and we used to go out together and go, yeah, let's do, you know, let's make it happen, man. And, you know, like, and, yes. and then we did, we made it. <laughs> you just made it. Yeah. yeah. It as simple as that. Yeah. We made it. I kind of, um, it wasn't a traditional script because I guess it's not a super traditional film. It was more of a treatment kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a kind of like, tenuous in with and wish also we kind of managed to kind of get an email address to send him in and we said listen you know we'd lo- we'd absolutely love you to do this if you find it interesting we can make the schedule work around you because he was becoming you know very very successful very successful he's already doing james bond by that point already wasn't he he's, I think he was, done the first one of them yeah, yeah he was big time the fact that you even just emailed him found an email and just went hey is kind of brave because you can totally get ignored by that yeah well, it was thanks to my friend who knew him who was willing to ask him on our behalf and um and that was jack who i used to make films with when we were kids 
So anyway, he, to our surprise, said, you know what, I love this, I'm up for it. Two things, I can't dance. <laughs> and I said, don't, I mean, it turns out he can. But um, I, <laughs> He is one of those, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, don't worry, it's definitely not that kind of movement. And he said, I haven't got much time, but I've got two days in two weeks from now. So, <laughs> so we weren't really expecting that. We were expecting, you know, spring next year or something. But, <laughs> but he said, I'm going to disappear in a while. So maybe we should do it then and scott and i thought well i think scott said to me we just got to make it happen and and at, looking back something about that kind of mad momentum kind of was just f- all fueled into what it became i think and it was it was a good thing in the end and we yeah we made it we did it we made it happen and, God, and that, yeah, you did. that was that was probably a big a big kind of moment in, in my career just i don't mean in terms of success or anything i just mean in terms of realizing oh this feels good because I'm doing what I dreamt of doing and I'm doing what I'm kind of making without being too wanky about it. Like I'm kind of, I'm making the film that was kind of in me and I wanted to make and now I'm making it and it feels good rather than, mm. rather than directing becoming a kind of a- academic exercise or something like that. And you're making kind of bold moves that, you know, they have, they have a risk element attached, but you're kind of fueling it with passion really. And, and you know, when those kind of things pay off, that kind of is, you know, how you get films made. It's it's like a serious determination and some kind of authenticity behind it and a bit of luck from someone else recognising that from the other side. Yeah, completely. And it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, as a filmmaker, you're kind of asked about your kind of voice as a filmmaker, and that's a really weird abstract concept to kind of get your head around. And I think it's only, I mean, maybe some people understand it from the get-go, but it's, speaking personally, it's only when you look back, you think, oh, okay, I guess this was... These these things I did was me developing my voice, and I guess I understand what it what that is now. But at the time, you know, it's a bit more chaotic than that, and you're just kind of splurging stuff from your kind of soul or whatever. And and that's only when you're watching it back, you're thinking, oh, okay, this is what I. It was that feeling, like you said, Dom, of kind of, oh, finally, I'm I'm making something that feels true to myself, and um, it feels good, even though, you know, um. <laughs> I'm not certainly not getting paid for this. I'm actively losing money. I and <laughs> absolutely, um, but hoping to gain in the long run. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it feels it feels really nourishing creatively, and that's what that's what you're kind of searching for, isn't it? And I think that's why. And I'm talk about this more, but like, it's good as a short filmmaker to kind of throw the shackles off of being too intellectual about it and thinking, oh, what kind of films do people want me to make, and what kind yeah. of what themes are kind of like current and popular. Mm-hmm. And what kind of devices do people use in short films that seem popular? Should I put a twist in? Should I put this in that? Mm. And it's always going to feel better, even if it kind of like crashes and burns, if you're just kind of, you know, tapping into like right there. I'm, I'm tapping my chest, by the way. <laughs> for, for those who can't see just like Matthew McConaughey <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah not just like him it's, it's true I, I mean um, I mean, I, th- I think there are institutions where they can they've got very talented people who sort of come together in these kind of group think tanks and they, they say okay well, here's a genre companies like um, Pixar that, that can do it exceptionally well mm. but I think for a lot of sort of individuals um you know, it has to sort of come from a very unique seed of something that you're, you know, desperate to to make. You know, or, or finding that seed or, or or some kind of bit you can implant into someone else's work so that you can really latch on and it feels kind of real rather than sort of making something that feels like hollow, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I think it's easy. Some I've, I sometimes sort of rue the fact I'm not one of those like little black book guys, you know, with like 50 killer 
films in my back pocket <laughs> to just like fire at fire at you but like you have to kind of make peace with the fact you're, you're maybe not that kind of person but but there's you know there are benefits to not being that as well and it, even though it might take longer and be more sort of hard work kind of figuring out you know what you truly want to make then hopefully when you do it's going to kind of at least be true to yourself yeah i have a load of ideas i stuck them in a notebook that's how the dare came about i feel you can find ideas anyway find inspiration anywhere right dom yeah i mean just from watching films from reading books just people you overhear in cafes and and everyday life you often hear the most interesting like segues of of dialogue that you'd never normally hear in your friend circles totally and that becomes an idea talking of reading books as well uh i went to the library and i think sometimes that's a really good source of inspiration just flicking through stuff and and plus my library's gorgeous it's really nice Uh, it's got two stories well you can hardly call it a library if it's only got two stories (laughs) oh brilliant thanks tom talking of reading up uh, I've been reading up quite a lot about Bitcoin in films and how I believe it's going to move forward, certainly move the needle within filmmaking. Yeah, so the financial landscape is definitely changing. And, and I think cryptocurrencies especially are, are going to be used for a lot more day-to-day things in, in all aspects um, of, of the economies uh, and the world trades. Um, and film is, is just one of those things where investment uh, and film transactions, um, buying VODs, uh, those kind of things are going to be increasing, I think, as the years go on. Uh, so it's a good time to, to get into the knowledge and uh, Bitcoin. I totally get that. And actually, it's a perfect segue into our sponsor, which is the fantastic Coin Corner. Um, to coin a phrase. To coin a phrase. Uh, it's a quick and easy way to buy Bitcoin in the UK. Uh, so sign up now and you can get some free sats which is basically small bits of bitcoin for free uh you can use the voucher code film btc link to that is in the show notes um dom you might like this actually i was coming up with a thriller idea for my for my film and i said to the the librarian do you sell any books on paranoia and she said they're right behind you Straight, straight out of Uncle Herbert's joke book from 1950. <laughs> yeah, that was the joke segue. Thank you very much. Coincorner.com. Um, but we, we're talking about being true to yourself and how important that is and finding ideas and notes and stories and where they come from, where your inspiration comes from. Um, and playing the long game. Always play the long game. Beat was made sort of 2000. 12 2013 and it didn't turn into a feature and obviously it's coming out now in 21 but i imagine you shot this in 2020 so therefore that's sort of seven eight years of this short and then going right uh, maybe one day i'll turn this into a feature obviously between that time you made many other shorts award-winning shorts as well but talk about that process when did you think this could be a feature and what is the process of turning that short into Surge. It happened quite soon after, actually. It wasn't really a case of making the short with a feature in mind. That certainly wasn't happening. And it wasn't, okay. it, def- it wasn't a kind of proof of concept short. There was no kind of systematic kind of approach like that. In fact, it really was just this short. And then I think what happened was I found those themes really interesting. I found the experience of making it really kind of invigorating. And so did Ben. And, and we sort of slowly became friends kind of from making it onwards. Mm-hmm. And both both felt really intrigued by the themes we were trying to explore. It also had, you know, not not in a cynical sense, but it also had a really strong reaction that short. And people, it seemed to be kind of tapping into something, even though it's an unusual film, 
And this was what I hoped would happen with Serge, even though it's an unusual film, it seemed to be tapping into something quite universal and, mm. um, it, you know, that people kind of like fascinating in some way. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I thought I'd really like to do that. I, I was aware that to make that into a feature, you know, with B, it's a short and it's somewhat observational. So you're kind of observing and a lot of it's long lens, for instance, you know, you're kind of observing this man living on the peripheries, kind of operating outside the normal parameters of behavior. And yeah. Stuff. It's kind of a little snapshot of this, of this character who you kind of see from afar and, you know, there's not too much explained. Whereas if you're going to do a feature, you, I kind of thought, okay, well you have to be kind of with him and kind of breathing every at the moment. And I mean, as you can see from the film, I, I didn't want to go to the other extreme and start kind of motivating and explaining everything to death, but you know, you mm. had to have, I wanted it to have there to be some kind of context. I also wanted it to be this guy not to, because in Beat, you know, you see so little of this guy's life that he, he, he seems like another creature or something. But in Surge, you know, you realise that, you know, this could be any kind of invisible background stranger on the streets kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, they work like we work. They take the tube, you know, they um, mm. live, they have a family, they have a flat, etc. Did you kind of get to the same similar kind of territory at, at the end of Beat in terms of where the, where the character goes or was that sort of developed for the feature? Both films, even though they're on, on different scales, obviously, are about somebody going on this journey and in one sense, in a physical sense, you know, they're kind of spiraling down, yeah. Spiraling into kind of self-destruction. Mm -hmm. In the physical sense, they are quite literally being damaged, you know, but in a kind of spiritual or emotional sense, they're kind of, it's this kind of transcendent, kind of somewhat liberating journey. So, so there is this kind of like duality, you know, and I'm saying all this stuff as if it's kind of perfectly done, but you know, this was, I'm just talking about what the aims were. To be honest, I think you massively achieved um, <laughs> massively. Serge is amazing. Um, mm. But yeah, so there is this sort of dual like journey going on where in, in one sense that, you know, you're, you're heading into kind of oblivion. And yeah. in another sense, you're transcending kind of this world into a kind of higher, higher state or something. And I think that's what we were aiming for at the end of Beat to some extent. And also in Surge, there are definite parallels there. Yeah. But yeah, in developing that film was not mm. massively straightforward. I mean, it's an unusual film. It's not got the sort of almost beginning, middle and end type thing. It's hard to pitch it. I imagine in the rooms kind of narrative arc it doesn't explain mm -hmm. stuff, stuff it's gonna frustrate some people and not be for not be for others etc yeah. um, and and also it's dealing with these really kind of like abstract and esoteric kind of themes you know about kind of existence and our kind of primal instincts versus our kind of you know what humankind looks like in 20 in in a very very modern kind of automated kind of world and they're easy things to well they're not easy but it's one thing to sit around a kind of table in an office kind of drinking oat lattes and, um, <laughs> and, and musing on these kind of like esoteric themes but it's another one kind of harnessing them into into a story you know and into a film and it wasn't swift it wasn't a swift process and also it becomes even harder when when the director aka me is kind of reluctant to make everything too neat and kind of explain things too much so that adds another kind of difficult angle into the kind of development process so it, i guess it was looking to do something fairly you know a little bit unconventional so so trying to harness that into a script that kind of everyone can get behind and did you kind of work with ben in terms of like how the you know the script developed I, i've seen a lot of his stuff and he's an amazing actor but i've never ben seen him sure. do anything yeah. like that like mm. uh you know at, at all it's like a complete revelation of, of like character acting and, and really impressive like is is that kind of 
a lot of the discussions that you had sort of going into the script process or did you kind of you know come up with the idea and the the chats that you had on the short and then kind of you know go away and develop it a bit more yeah it was it ben was definitely involved but it it was in a more it was kind of frequent conversations about you know the themes where the script was heading looking at drafts talking about them he wasn't coming at it from this kind of development headed approach it was more just in a thematic it was just more just having really kind of deep as possible conversations about the themes and about the character and i think we share him and i and this is why kind of we wanted to go on that journey making it shared a fascination with the with the themes of how far kind of this we as a species have strayed from our kind of like mm-hmm. you know tactile kind of instincts or whatever you however you want to phrase it we 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 kind of shared that kind of fascination with what the modern world has become and so we found it really interesting and and you know not an effortless in a sense to talk about these things and probe them and and so when it came to each draft we'd knock it around and and you know ben would be really helpful and really candid and he'd you know sometimes he'd be like okay well i think we're kind of straying from our you know like original you know the drive of why we wanted to make this and and what's happening here and and it was all yeah they, he was a brilliant part of that process and um and i think you know i'm i'm really glad you think he you're seeing him in a different light because i think he he found the way we approached the filmmaking and the performance and things, I think he found it kind of really like truly kind of ex- exhilarating. And well, I bet cause you're, you are again, even though you get inside his mind and you follow him down the street and you're really there, you know, he's seeing what he sees, but a lot of the time you're also on long lenses where he was walking down real streets with real people. N- no one knew he was being filmed and he is in that character and he's doing his shaking and his moments and his jumping and his, and you go, that guy's, absolutely crazy if you saw him on the street you go fucking yeah. i'll stay away from that one so ben must have just immersed himself into that world which must have been fantastic for you as a director to, to see yeah i loved it and i loved that way of working and that's that's how we tried to approach the whole every angle of the filmmaking really you know mm. we, we like i say we there were lots of conversation and discussion about about the character and where he was at in each moment and the sort of nuances of his journey emotionally and things like that but but we didn't want to, what I didn't want to do was rehearse it, you know, um, right. to, to, to death. So what I wanted to do is create this kind of like as whole and kind of real a kind of uh, environment for him to act in as possible. And that meant in a practical sense, that meant kind of lighting 360 where mm. possible, you know, not confining people to kind of one part of the set where we'd perfectly lit it, not, you know, letting the camera be instinctive to the performance rather than the other way around. But Ben and I did something where, if the character Joseph hadn't been into a, a location before, you know, so this this wouldn't apply to his flat or his parental home or things things like this. But if the character was going into a new location, then we'd make sure Ben didn't see that location or go cool. into it. Cool. Until we were rolling on the first take, you know. So of course you're not going to nail everything on the first take, but it brought this kind of liveness to everything. And so when Ben goes into a bank or whatever it is, he is genuinely having to get his bearings and figure the space out. You really felt that, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Love and then that. likewise with characters who he wouldn't have met before, then we made sure they didn't meet until we were actually rolling. And um, it just brought this kind of like, considering it's it's kind of in, in some ways about a character rediscovering, you know, the world and a sort of rebirth of sense and a spirit experience everything kind of anew again. It felt like if we could lean into that and create those, that the an environment for Ben where he could kind of do that, 
then we would get that kind of yeah live energy that we wanted even with the routes he took on certain streets just not pinning it down and being like okay well we're not quite sure whether he's going to go there or there but we'll go with it and the end result is something <laughs> a little bit chaotic and you know i think i think camera wise it can be a lot for people for some people and too much for others and stuff but i i kind of wanted it to be this kind of experiential journey and um for better or worse i think that's what we <laughs> we went for, you definitely yeah. definitely have um before we go more into search just talk us through how you actually managed to raise the money for this then how did it happen because it's what people want to know all the time short to feature how do we do it we make shorts how do i turn it into a feature or how do i make a feature how did it happen for you what was the what was the moment when you went i think i'm making this i had this um treatment for for serge i had uh, an agent by this point and and she said okay let's think of a few places to take this to and find a kind of home for it and obviously they were it was a first feature so they, they were a certain kind of production company or some of them are individual producers and i had some really good meetings and i really loved how Rook's Nest, who we made it with, talked about it. In fact, I remember that was the one meeting I had out of all of them where they kind of grilled me on it and kind of highlighted all the problems with it and, <laughs> and gave me quite a, quite a hard time. Yeah, but it means they care. It means they've actually yeah, exactly. read it. Yeah, I came yeah. out thinking, oh, well, I guess they don't want to do it, but it turns out they did. And I, hmm. I kind of liked that they were thinking in that way. And, um, and then, you know, we got into de- development. Th- then it was about finding the writers, actually, because, you know, I knew, we, I knew I didn't want to write it and wanted to collaborate with a writer. Mm-hmm. And so reading a lot of script samples and things, having meetings with writers, and once we'd found um, the, the writer, we, we got development money from BBC Films. And then this was a long journey, to be honest. So, so yeah. luckily, BBC were kind of generous enough and kind of into it enough to keep developing the script over, over quite a, a while. Well, yeah, we're talking like, well, seven years in total, but yeah. Yeah, probably, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean we actually shot it in like 2019. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, a long time. And at a certain point, at a certain point, um, BFI came on board. I think we were allowed, we were able to get a little bit more than perhaps we would have on another first feature because of Ben Wishaw's um, kind of stature as an actor. I think it probably also helped that from, from the beginning of development to when we actually made it, I'd also then done quite a bit of TV as well. So mm, you had, I, I yeah. kind of, I'd kind of um, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, kind of, established yourself yeah definitely had you'd made love sick which i loved uh pure and then top boy as well you know that's that's an incredible incredible cv already so therefore people are now taking you seriously you're not just a shorts person if you like you've now gone well, actually i've i've definitely cut my stripes on yeah. some brilliant telly so therefore maybe the journey was slightly easier for people to push the button and go, yeah, actually, and I, yeah. don't, I don't know. Truth, truth is, I don't know how much that played a part in things and how much it was, you know, having someone like Ben attached to it and things mm-hmm. or, or the film just needing that to an extent. Going back to the TV thing, I was personally glad I'd taken that route. I think directors really vary in their attitude towards, you know, I, I know directors who I really love and really rate their work and, and they just didn't want to have that distraction. They just wanted to have a kind of purity of vision about concentrating on the the feature and making right. that their one only priority. And I kind of rate that. But you know, everyone's different. And for me, that I kind of exercise those muscle that those shooting muscles so so much. You know, and um, every time you go back to it, it feels a little new again and a little strange. And um, 
you know, I didn't have that with Serge. I just had this kind of innate kind of like, I understand what, what I need to do here. That's, uh, yeah. And that's, do you know, as the director, you know, writer of it, as well as um, Rupert and Rita, you were kind of a bit like, well, fine. You, you know, you've got your brilliant producers and Julie and Sophie going, okay, well, we'll work this out for you. And that's great. It's a good place to be. And the fact that you were, I think what worked for me, for you going from shorts to features is you kept working. You weren't stopping. You were like, well, I'm going to go make telly. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. So then when it came up, you were like, great, I'm ready. And I think that's fascinating. I think that that is, you know, really cool. And Rook's Nest are brilliant. And, you know, obviously having BFI and BBC films behind you suddenly makes things uh, very cool. I think overall, like Surge, you know, as, as a film, I think what something that really um, intrigued me was you manage to kind of follow this guy's life um, and, and even though he's kind of going on this, this liberating journey, at the same time, some of the things he's doing are crazy, but I think what was really impressive, what you managed to achieve, was kind of almost drawing attention to how manufactured like society is, you know, in terms of these kind of social conventions, you know, sort of seeing him going around the high street and all these, all these interactions and, you know, the ways these institutions work. It was really quite fascinating, I think, in kind of looking at, you know, is is he actually the, the crazy one or, you know, is he, is he the one that's breaking out of it all? And I think that was a remarkable achievement. Yeah. I really appreciate that, Dom. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, really nice way of articulating it better than I do, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it, it <laughs> It was, it is, a, it is trying to probe at that. It's like, okay, well, we exist in this world. It's the only world we know and we take it for granted. But there are some moments where you just kind of look at it through a certain lens and you think this is really strange kind of system that we've created for ourselves here. And it's not particularly straightforward or pleasant. Um, no. And why, why have we done that? You know, like, um, yeah. and yeah, you know, I think I always loved cinema experiences or any kind of film experience where you come out, I come out of the film and I'm just a little bit un- unnerved and my mood's just been shifted and the way I see the world, you know, literally when you walk out of screen, whatever, mm. onto the street, everything feels a little bit different. And even if that's not in a very nice way, I've always been quite impressed how a film can kind of like shift your mood for a, for a few hours or something. I totally agree. But, but I think I think you, you balanced it really nicely with with kind of the moments with the the, the parents, especially the mum. That was oh, kind of gosh, I think wow. everyone's sort of been there a little bit with their sort of parents' expectations and, and that sort of heartbreaker. And and I think that and the sort of the peace that he finds at the end, it it, it found a nice counter. And I think those moments were really important in sort of uh, balancing away that that alienation and, and sadness that kind of you know rides through a lot of the film. Well, that's really that's really kind, yeah, and I think that's credit to Rita and um, Rupert and and you know the development team who always understood that it had to have heart and humanity to temper the chaos, yeah. Mm. Um, mm. And I'm really glad it worked, yeah. Yeah, would you be able to give some advice for filmmakers coming up now who've trying to go from short to features, and what would you suggest to them now, looking back? I, I can't pretend I'm. A, some great oracle on anything particularly but um i think i think like we were saying earlier it's really it's really easy to get wrapped up in thinking too intellectually or kind of scientifically about kind of um film and what film you should be making thinking oh what are the kind of hot right now themes or what stories are kind of successful and not successful i just i just don't think it works like that i think if you can really tap into what yeah and it's not easy you know i don't find it easy but stories you want to tell or what kind of what what intrigues you about the world and kind of go with that then um i think like i said it's easy for me to say now but even if it goes tits up then it's it's gonna 
it's going to be true to yourself and it's going to be interesting for that. And I think people will respect that, you know, um, even if it doesn't succeed in every, literally every way, I think people will really respect that and they'll see you as a filmmaker and they'll understand your voice. And I think you'll feel better for it ultimately as well. It will be, you know, film, filmmaking is kind of, and should be personal, I think. Mm. And, um, just go with that. Shoot from the heart and don't give up. Yeah, exactly. And don't expect, you know, to sit down and come up with a killer idea that afternoon. I mean, it's never, ever, ever happened uh, to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it's that normal. Um, so it can be a slog, I think. But yeah, just trust yourself. Love it. Uh, Surge is out uh, May the 28th. Do go watch this brilliant, intense, slow burn thriller with an absolutely scintillating performance from Ben Withshaw. And brilliantly directed by Neil. Um, honestly, it's great. It's a superb calling card for you, and I can't wait to see what you do next. I imagine mm. there's people knocking, so uh, I hope you've got a great script ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you've got people to write you a great script. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe that, maybe that. But thanks yeah. so much. No, I really appreciate the pleasure. pleasure. And, and it's been really enjoyable chatting with you both. And yeah, look forward to chatting some other time. Yeah, absolutely. Can, have fantastic. you got social media? Can people find you on there? Yeah, I'm not the best. I'm in, I'm increasingly crap. Increasingly crap. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm, I'm on Instagram and um, okay. it's at underscore Anil underscore. Amazing. Cool. Thank you. Uh, you can follow me at Charles Alderson Dom. Uh, Director Dom Lenoir or Dom Lenoir, depending on which platform you're on. You can follow the podcast at Filmmakers Pod. Uh, if you've liked this, tell your pals. And remember, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, or go out there and make your indie film, uh, then remember, you can and you have to send the elevator back down. Anil Karia, thank you so much for your time. You've been an inspiration yeah, so and a, an absolute delight of a guest. Thank you. Nice one. Thanks a lot, guys. Nice.